program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and you know we're excited to have another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show we just came off of a very historic week with the announcement of kamala harris out of california becoming the vp pick on the democratic ticket so the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the California electorate has been in perpetual and in celebratory mode in perpetuity since that announcement. <laughs> so uh, we, we talk a little bit about that in today's show. So uh, let me break down who's gonna be on the show this evening. So we have some amazing guests in the world of mental health and entertainment and music all wrapped up into just two guests this time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have the good sister, Dr. Amanda Rankin out of Chicago, Illinois. She has a practice called Thrive Psych Services in the beautifully, highly misunderstood city of Chicago, Illinois. She breaks down the plight of black women in that city and what they're going through in the wake of COVID-19 and uh, how they're coping out there. That's uh, Dr. Amanda Rankin. She's here to break it down with us. And we have my good brother, Mr. Cleveland Robinson out of Dallas, Texas. He is a singer songwriter and he's also a business owner as well as a licensed professional counselor. Okay, so he is also a mental health activist. He's here to break down some things on behalf of the brothers. Uh, we talk about the, uh, the selection of Kamala Harris as well with him. And we had a good old time breaking down some things about music and neo soul and funk. And the conversation just took a very, very fun and creative turn. I am very excited about this conversation with Mr. Robinson, as well as Dr. Rankin. So uh, that's going to be our lineup. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with the good brother, Mr. Cleveland Robinson, after this. This is your soul ambassador, Cleveland Robinson, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet.
we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, you know we've been going through a moment in this country right now, especially with our folks. Our folks have been circling our wagons like never before. And I've been able to have the privilege to meet people from all over the country. And it's, it's just been a very moving and cathartic moment for the, the black community globally and nationwide in this country for sure. So I got a brother here with me and uh, I'm really excited to talk to him. It's been a long time coming actually. He, he, uh, his nickname is the Real Soul Ambassador, but this brother, he does a lot, man. He, he, he calls himself a mental health activist. He's definitely a talented singer, vocalist, multi-instrumentalist. Uh, the brother does his thing and he's also an entrepreneur. And I just wanna hear how he's been able to put all of that together. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time at Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Cleveland Robinson. Mr. Robinson, are you there? Yes, sir. How's everybody doing out there? Oh, man. Hopefully everybody's cool and the gang. So you are out there in the beautiful state of uh, Texas in the city of Dallas, correct? Yes, the very beautiful and hot city and state of <sighs> Dallas. How did this all start for you, good brother? You, you, you call yourself a mental health activist, a musician, and an entrepreneur. How did all this start for you? What, what would you say is the foundation for all this uh, industriousness that you're bringing together as a bit of a soul ambassador, like you say? What's your story, good brother? That's simple. My mother. Come on. Um, my mother's always been an entrepreneur. She's always been very ambitious. Um, and so coming up and watching her, um, I just kind of picked up a lot of the things that she was involved in. Um, she put me a lot around a lot of mentors, um, black men um, that I could follow. Mm. Um, and also, you know, um, some non-black brothers. I, one of my best mentors when I was younger um, was um, this youth pastor by the name of Mike Gatz. Um, extremely influential in my life during that time. Mm. Um one of my other mentors was a guy by the name of um, Habib Shafiq, who was um, who kind of started opening up my eyes to advocacy. He's the one who kind of set me on the path to advocacy. One of the things about Dallas is that as big as it is, as much influence as it has had, it still does not get the notoriety. Right. Um, So you got major artists from the DFW, Kurt Franklin, Fred Hammond, all of the mans are from out here. Um, aside from that, from a media standpoint, Tom Jordan, Michael Bastis, Steve Harvey, all came out of Dallas. Come on. And so Dallas really is a silent heavy hitter. People moved to Atlanta, but they a lot of them started here in Dallas. I want to talk to you about your mental health activism if we could, before we uh, let you go while we have you here, because I've been seeing sure some of your work go by. You've been having these conferences, speaking to brothers yes, about this time period, the impact of racism, police brutality, George Floyd, impact on brothers' mental state, man. Uh, what can you tell us about what your experiences have been like lately out in Dallas with the brothers? Uh, how much of an impact has this really had on us, man? So it definitely has been a rousing scene here in Dallas. We were one of the sites that had a colossal protest um, daily for quite some time. Um, and as a matter of fact, they were having a small protest this past weekend. Yeah. And so the fire, the fire is still lit out here, um, mm -hmm. which is why we do our event mentality. 
once a month. I've noticed that, you know, being in the mental health field that sometimes, you know, you got to bring, um, you got to bring the tools to, to the people. Um, not everybody's going to come into your office. Not everybody's going to seek out help. And so that's what encouraged me to um, begin to put on monthly mental health forums for black men um, as they are a demographic and a population that normally does not seek out therapy the way we should. So that was the reasoning for coming up with mentality. Absolutely. Uh, Exciting just hearing about it, man. Uh, Your specific discipline is what? Are you a mental health therapist or what what is your focus? Yes, I'm a licensed professional counselor and um, I'm licensed in Texas as well as Georgia. Yes, sir. And um, I have a, um, a mental health agency here in Dallas called Robinson House behavioral health services and um the focus of it is um i get a lot of referrals of course for children mm-hmm. um um and working professionals yeah. and so those are right who really comes through my door and so you know when we're doing our outreach to men that's like my giving back to the community that's why these forums are free that's why we do uh, advertising across the country to get brothers pouring in we have good turnouts every single month so it's been a blessing when you think about the the walls that you have to break down to get the brothers to come in and actually share and, uh, you know, be transparent, um, how challenging has that been, even in the wake of this these protests? Because you said it's still kind of popping out there where you are, right? We've had periodic smaller protests, absolutely, out here in Dallas. And the activism is, is definitely around and well, absolutely. Mm. Well, getting the brothers in, um, are they a little bit more apt to come in and share, given how heavy things have been? Absolutely. Uh, what we do, um, I make it very non-intrusive. Um, and so what we do is we put out the flyer and we, um, we just advertise. We advertise hard, we advertise steady. And once that occurs, um, we usually, of course, do repeat marketing to brothers who have come before. That's been very helpful. So it's like a snowball. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and, and, and it rolls. Then we market it to those. And so once all forms, brothers are very vocal. It's, it's the most interesting thing. Um, we have no problem at mentality with brothers talking. Everybody's talking. And I guess because we've made the environment um, a place where brothers feel comfortable expressing themselves. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to go a little deeper with that, too, because now I see how it all comes together. You, you are in private practice, so I see the entrepreneurial side. I see the mental health side. I see the music. I'm starting to get the picture, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> so Yes, sir. I'm, yes, sir. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I'm listening to you, and I'm just wondering that it's the extent to which because you know, uh, oh, and are you also, um, are you an alpha or an omega? I'm an omega. I'm a Q. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And are you a HBCU alumnus? Yes. I went to Fisk University in Nashville. Oh, look at that. I'm all about HBCUs, man. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, let me, let me just cut to the chase. How excited are you about this uh, VP pick in Kamala Harris? Um, I... I can give you the short and skinny of what it is. 
Yes. So I had reservations. Okay. And the reason why I had reservations is because when she was running before, I noticed that for some reason, a lot of black people were very divided about her. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, you heard that when they announced the pick, you still heard the chatter. So my first thought was, was that a good pick because of the divisiveness that happened before when she was running? Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as my personal stance, whether it's a good pick or not, that's above my head as far as okay. it concerns what the discussions they've had with her, mm-hmm. but I'm voting for. <laughs> I support uh, Biden and her as a team. Yeah. Um, I believe when I looked at her Senate record, because I like to be informed when I make decisions. Um, I understand why people felt divided about her in California. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And she was in a position that's highly scrutinized as a DA, especially as a black DA. Um, So that did come with the package. Mm -hmm. So I get where the outrage was at, especially when it comes to incarceration and black men. Mm -hmm. However, when you look at her record, while she's been in the Senate, She's been a star when it comes to racial equality, when it comes to um, someone standing in the gap uh, for those who are oppressed or underrepresented. She's got she has a stellar record. And that to me shows growth. That to me shows that when she gets on the big stage, where she has been, Mm -hmm. what she's going to do. And so it's kind of like. I don't want nobody to judge me on my past. I want somebody to judge me on my works overall. And as it concerns the federal government and legislation, she's an ally. And she has definitely stood up for black people in the Senate, for sure. Well, that that was a well-crafted statement, my brother. You need to stump for her or something. (laughs) You, you (laughs) You do better at punditry than the pundits themselves. (laughs) <laughs> Man, it's just it's you know one thing about it is i think that a lot of times we can get really caught up in emotion mm-hmm. and some stuff is black and white read a legislative record whether you're gonna support it or you ain't i support our legislative record um because it says what i want to look for in number in number three most importantly mm-hmm. I don't care if a giraffe was running man i would vote for a giraffe over, over president trump there we are <laughs> It's just how it is. Um, there we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I, I totally agree. Um, and that's that kind of leads me to my one of my final questions with you, because just the, the, the rallying effect that her uh, being the VP pick and that being announced and how galvanizing that appears to be. I mean, I, I heard what you said also about it, she does have in certain segments a bit of a polarizing effect. But what I'm seeing, man, I'm seeing people come for her, man. They're they're doing this Bertha thing all over again, and yeah, it's ridiculous. It. It's ridiculous. They're trying to discredit her. So I'm feeling this urge to just get in there and fight for her and defend her, man. And so, but I understand that the reservations that some brothers may have. So this leads me to my question: You're in mental mm-hmm. health. This you're mm-hmm. in mental health. So some brothers, and I'm I'm a, I'm gonna hone in real laser light. Some okay. straight heterosexual black men feel like people don't hear them and don't see them and don't get their perspectives when they, you know, fantasize about the coveted black vote. 
and mm-hmm. what they're talking about is the black female vote mainly, but they don't get the perspectives of straight heterosexual black men. Mm-hmm. How, how accurate is that? Is that a fair depiction of the, the absence or presence of the straight heterosexual male black uh, perspective or am I splitting hairs here? I think there's a lot of validity to it because um, let's use the example we're talking about right now. I knew where the where most of the negativity, and I hate to use that word, but most of the criticism, there we go, was going to come from. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you hopped on social media, when you talk to people, it, it came from that population of black heterosexual men, like, you know, we don't feel hurt. Um, this is someone um, who has had a rough history with us in the criminal justice system. By, the, by her position and by his position, of course, too, when we look at Biden's track record when it comes to being tough on crime, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I believe that overall, that's not splitting hairs. I think it's a lot of validity to it. And I have posted this, um, and of course, I don't have millions of followers, but for those who have followed me, um, it's opened up good conversation. Um, and I'm in a, a rather large group, and I share that couple things here one what do you think is the better choice (laughs) you know what i'm saying and then yep number and and this is of course to other brothers the population you're speaking of what is the better choice because if out of your emotion you decide not to vote the election's already over that's right um because here's the thing Trump supporters are loyal and mm-hmm. unwavering. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what he does. Yep. Um, it's interesting, the interviews, when they go to Trump rallies, they right. know everything he does. They know yep. he incites hate and violence. Yep. They'll explicitly tell you, we know that it's wrong, mm-hmm. but I still got to vote for him. Mm-hmm. They're not moving. And yeah. so if we don't vote in droves, Yes, sir. I don't I don't see a win. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on how we can protect our mental health during this process? November is not that far away, but with the pandemic, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Rashard Brooks, and on and on and on. Uh, this is heavy on our soul as if we needed this to remind us of how heavy uh, things land on our soul. But everything in, disproportionately impacts the brothers and sisters, man. That's right. Any, what are your thoughts on ways in which we could uh, manage our mental health during this time? Absolutely. Um, the tools that I've been giving to individuals is to one, you got to unplug. Um, yes, sir. That's the first move. If you're trying to, um, if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed and you are trying to improve your mental condition from being in that state, if you're still consuming hours of social media and propaganda, you're mm. working backwards. Yes, sir. And so unplugging is the first step during this time. And two, surrounding yourself with individuals who are talking progressively and positively. Yes. I feel like your support system when it comes to your mental health 
as well as what you surround yourself, as well as what you eat with your eyes mm. is what is going to help improve your mental health. Now, of course, that's outside of finding a therapist, getting on medication if you need it, exercising, um, mm. eating well. We know that. Correct. <laughs> but um, you have to change your environment and what you're eating with your eyes um, because we are consuming every negative piece of propaganda we can at light speed. And I don't think, I don't think, uh, DJ Rome, that we're realizing how it's subconsciously chiseling at us. I agree. I agree. So, well, we, we got a couple minutes left. How is it chiseling at us then? I mean, because that's insidious, right? That's like the, the frog in the boiling pot of water who was yeah. in there because he was all comfortable and then somebody turned the pilot light on. Now the poor frog is going to cook if somebody don't rescue him. So uh, mm -hmm. what, are the, what are some of those insidious variables and how are they impacting us? Well, of course, I think one of the first things is, is desensitizing us and enraging us at, at, at the same time. Yes, sir. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like you see so much violence um, every time you turn on the news. Um, and that's, you know, on your browser even. Um, a lot of people don't watch news on TV. But uh, for those uh, who are looking at the news on TV, on their browser, um, you're looking at one million uh, social media armchair activists <laughs> and their thousands of posts. Yep. Um, you become desensitized. Yep. You become irritated, um, which is why we have these social media arguments, which are stupid, by the way, mm -hmm. um, because you got to really think about it. You're mm -hmm. arguing with a stranger. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> <laughs> right. but in the moment... Mm -hmm. It shows how much these words are really affecting us because you're drawn in to a down hard, serious debate with mm -hmm. a stranger. Stranger. Wow. <laughs> and so it's chiseling at a, and, and I'm using that example as something tangible mm -hmm. to just show how it's chiseling at us. That shows that it's internally, it's irritating us. It's reminding us of trauma that we have heard um, or have seen. It's desensitizing us. And so that goes back to my whole thing of like, you got to make a decision for your mental health. And I really feel like in this space, unplugging is everybody's first step. Ooh, man, that's such good advice. Uh, we're listening to the good brother Cleveland Robinson, um, music artist, mental health activist, entrepreneur, licensed professional counselor. Uh, the Good Brother's breaking it down. Uh, man, you you really said something right then because I've had to, you know, I talked to my wife about it. It's like, man, I, lately, I, I've noticed I'm more angry. Lately, yep. I'm more yep. irritable and not toward her, but I, I just want to fight more. I just want to yep. fight and I want to go defend the sisters and I want to defend my wife and defend my family. And I, I'm just hot. And it's important because I was watching Roland Martin the other day and he said it's important that people are careful about injecting too much emotion into the arena of politics. And sometimes you, it's hard to extract one from the other because they're so linked together because these issues are so uh, hot button-like because people uh -huh. care about this stuff so much. But uh -huh. I, I notice, Mr. Robinson, that I myself, DJ Rome, a psychologist on this show, I myself, uh -huh. I, I'm, I get hot, man, I get pissed. Because I, I, I get fed the heck up. And I'm just wondering how yeah. many brothers out there are fed up, man. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, brothers are definitely fed up. I think that's why you saw this emotional knee-jerk reaction. Um, uh, in particular, if we're talking about, you know, our vice pres presidential candidate, mm -hmm. um, you saw this knee-jerk reaction, and all the comments were pretty much the same, mm -hmm. or some form of it. She threw brothers in jail. She threw brothers in jail. She threw brothers. You know what I'm saying? It really was based solely off of that. Nothing more. Right. Um, you had some variations in there, and that lets you know, like that conversation is extremely sensitive to brothers right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping with what you just said, um, the emotional that emotion does not drag us away from the ballot box. I believe, unfortunately, for many, it may. Because mm -hmm. we just can't, we can't see it. Like, we're in too deep right now. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, a brother really, because of that past, mm -hmm. why not take the time to be like, okay, what you do as a senator? Like, that's a conscious, intentional thing you got to do. You know what? What you <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead, finish your thought. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it, it's going to be hard for a lot of brothers, the ones we talk about, to mm. move past her past. Watch this, though. Mm. She ain't even the president, presidential candidate. Come on. And so, you, mm -hmm. it, you can see how impactful this is mm -hmm. because I don't remember anyone, I'm not sure if you know, during the presidencies, you can remember, brother. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about when I first started voting. My first time voting was uh, during the Bush campaign. Okay. Um, and so I don't know if before then, mm -hmm. I've never known of anyone debating a vice presidential candidate. It's mm -hmm. like, this mm -hmm. is new. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you're um, absolutely right. Yeah, go ahead. In the past, you know, it's kind of like, Here's the presidential candidate, and then you know you hope he picks a cool vice presidential candidate, and if they're not so cool, it's kind of like oh whatever, yep. and we move it on. Yep, and you're, but, you're not wrong. You're not mm, wrong because the reason why the reason why it's like that because we just experienced it in 2016 when Hillary ran, because we were hoping that she would go further with uh, you know a quote unquote progressive ticket when it was announced in 2016 that Elizabeth Warren at that time was open to being a running mate when Hillary mm -hmm. was clearly going to be the, the, the nominee. And so we were hoping that she would pick somebody uh, of that strain because while she wasn't Bernie Sanders, there was some semblance of, well, she's not Bernie, but us progressives, we progressives could probably get her to move a little bit more to the left if she's yeah. on the ticket more so than anybody else. But then she chooses, she, she goes out there and chooses Tim Kaine who's not a bad guy, don't get me wrong, but he's not exciting. He's nothing to write home about. Um, nothing. It, there was nothing, <laughs> yeah, there was nothing there. And I think we've become so accustomed to wanting something and, you know, as black voters that we're so used to being let down. And I'm not saying this across the board because I, I believe you're absolutely right that unplugging during this time is actually part and parcel uh, entangled in this uh, discussion because our conditioning, and, and I, I hesitate to say that word, but we're, we're kind of conditioned to really manage our expectations to a point that the person that we prefer 
it's probably not going to get picked anyway. So why get my hopes up? So now the one I do want, it gets elected. And it's like, oh, my God. Now it, it, it seems more uh, meaningful now. It, it, it's, I, feel a, I feel a connection now. It's like I feel far more inclined to defend her record, just like I was inclined to defend President Obama's record. I don't right. typically care that much to defend anybody's record, but I'll tell the people that just off the cuff just want to disparage and uh, trivialize her record. It's like, stop it, cut it out, <laughs> shut up, sit down, do your own research. Don't just be out there parroting and recycling talking points that you heard somewhere else. Go look it up people for yourself. People parrot it. That's right. People Go parrot it. it. Yes. Go look it up for yourself. She is all right. And she's definitely good enough for this moment that we're in right now because, like you said, this dude in office has got to go. He got to go. He's got to go. And so I, <laughs> I was seeing text and then I chimed in myself. I don't care if Joe chose uh, Joe Schmo. <laughs> he could have chose Blow. He could have chose Mama. I'm voting for him. I am I'm voting this is Cleveland Robinson, your soul ambassador, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. Who are you influenced by? Absolutely. Where well, I, I grew up in a real musical household, and so um, my favorite artist um, coming up um, is Michael Jackson. That was my favorite artist, entertainer. All right. All right. Uh, as a musician and the way I learned to compose, it's a hundred percent Stevie Wonder. Ah, look at that. Um, and so, you know, I like to make those delineations. Like, you know, I, I'm Michael Jackson fanatic, but music and songwriting, Stevie Wonder is my sole influence. Yes. Um, and then of course as time went on and I grew musically. Um, I took a lot during, um, I was a teenager doing the first neo soul movement and so oh, yeah. between 95 and 96 during that time um that that was a major push mm-hmm. and so when d'angelo hit the scene in 95 um Woo! it's crazy i wish you could go back to those times but i walked oh, around man. with braids yeah. um i was obsessed with his sound oh yeah um, and so i, I still picked am. up a lot of music oh yeah he, he he's funky Yes, he is. And so I picked up a lot of musical influences at that growing age, 13, 14, actually from listening to lots of D'Angelo, lots of Stevie Wonder, um, female vocalist wise, my friends laugh at me, but I've been obsessed with Aretha Franklin since I've been a kid. What they Um, laughing at? What, 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 what they, there's nothing uh, Aretha is ground zero what are they talking about listen I think Aretha is funky she like is. you P.U. funky absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, so her combined um, those are the different sounds and people in that genre but I like to mention them by name because mm. they, they, they've been so vital to my music, um, the way I sing, the way I structure my songs, those are a few of the uh, more important artists. Mm. Wow. Those those are, you know, <laughs> your, your name speaks you well, my brother. I mean, that's royalty right there. 
That's real. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets yeah. no deeper than that. I mean, you don't get any deeper than Aretha Franklin. I grew up on uh, Gladys Knight and loving her and thinking that, wow, Gladys is the end all be all. But, you know, <laughs> sometime after that, and she is, she is, but there, you can't, Aretha, man, she, deep, deep, deep catalog. When she passed away, man, we yeah. did such a robust and royal tribute to her that her catalog is deep, man. It's like, she, she so, she's so deep that it would surprise people that she may have a catalog that uh, rivals Prince because Prince had a lot of unreleased stuff. Absolutely. Aretha yeah. is deep. She, is, she had been on so many different labels from the, the late 50s and 60s. Her catalog is thick, bro. So I ain't mad at you, That's man. right. I think her catalog is very close to that. I mean, and the reason why I really started liking Aretha Franklin, number one, I just like the air about her. Um, but when you listen to, um, like, the Spanish Harlem album. Yes. Um, and some albums around that era, yep. you really hear the funk. And I'm yes, a, big, a fan, of course, of, of funk music in that era. Yep. And so when I realized how funky she was when she would carry a beat, as a kid, I mean, I had a real big impression on me. It still does. Oh, man, because she had the best of the best musicians. That's Bernard Purdy on drums. She had all those cats from uh, Muscle Shoals putting it down. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with Atlantic a lot Records. of Southern boys. Southern yeah. boys, man. They were just putting mm -hmm. it down. And you, and then it became a musical education because, you know, back in my era, you could look at liner notes and you could see all these cats playing and seeing why certain songs appeal to you you know, just like that one over. Okay, it's the same musicians. They just are backing up different people. So that's <laughs> right. the way those drums were hidden back then and you yeah. know, you real guitar, you had real bass and you had parts in the song and it, the rhythm section was just dense and you could just yeah. put your teeth down to it like you're crunching into a, a nice cabbage <laughs> like, and that's what that's D'Angelo too, right? When D'Angelo, oh, his vocals, Oh man, don't give me the way D'Angelo does his vocals. I know people, you know, complain that he sounds like he has a lot marbles. of people complain about it. Yeah, you know, he's but got marbles in his mouth. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I'm amening you, brother. Go ahead. Well, they complain about that because they he, you can't you know he the way he enunciates his phrasing is hard to detect what he's actually saying. But when you put it together in the totality of his artistry. That's part of his mystique because now you really got to pay attention to the music. Now you really got to pay attention. Now you got to go back and listen to it again to see what you miss. Because if you catch it, he's got musicianship, he's got lyrics, he's definitely got soul. And when he puts all of that together, it's just magical. That album, amongst the other two, it is harder to understand all his lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, but it's such a musical album. Yep. Um, and if you listen, um, you can hear it. You can hear it. <laughs> but you got his music is music you have to sit down and truly listen to. Yes. And it's to you know musical fanatics, me and you. Um, one thing I like that he brought back old school is that he let the bass carry all his songs. Uh, That's what carries the songs. Ah. Uh, Pino Pino Paladino. Oh man, his baseman. Nasty. Nasty. <laughs> straight nasty. That dude played with yeah. the who. He he re he replaced John and Twistle in the in the Who. That's a rock and roll legendary band, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know who the yeah. Who are, you gotta Google yeah, them. The who. This cat that that 
Cleveland is talking about that plays with D'Angelo. Uh, those lines on like um, "Never Betray My Heart" and oh, models yeah. the Spanish joint. I mean that that's that's Spanish cool. joint. He whooped into submission. Man, they gonna lie to you. <laughs> man, that cat can oh, do it. Man. Man, that, that cat funky. Put, yeah, he funky man. Why do man put you in a pocket? And just yeah. keep you there, man. Oh man. And that's what I like about I like that's what I like about him. Yeah. He, um you, he plays bass, he comes out in the pocket mm. almost entirely. He mm. comes out small ad libs, as you know, and then he goes back to the pocket. And that's what makes wow. him funky. <laughs> Okay, so I rarely, rarely, rarely get to talk to a D'Angelo fan, so I, I, I'm gonna hit you with this one. I'm gonna hit you with this Good one. Word. Because when the Black Messiah album came out, I know you saw this performance live on Saturday Night Live, brother. What were your thoughts? Ooh-wee! <laughs> I told um, the young lady I was dating at that time, I told her explicitly, because hmm. I was up, I was watching it, I said, I want to start walking around with a poncho. Only D'Angelo can walk around with a poncho and a hat looking like Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, Mm -hmm. the whole whole mystique was amazing. Um, Of course, you had, uh, what's the brother's name? I think Jeremy Sharkey is the uh, the, uh, guitar player. Isaiah Sharkey. Isaiah Sharkey um, is the guitar player. He plays with... um, um, what's the guy I love who plays piano real well? He has the um, oh, that's a, black uh, radio Gasper. albums. Uh, Gasper. Robert uh, Glasper. Robert Glasper, yeah. Yep. So I get familiar with him from Robert Glasper's um, ensemble. Ooh. And so Isaiah Sharkey on there. Yep. Um, he has some really sharp um, background singers. The, girl, the light-skinned girl wrote a lot of that album. Dude, okay, let's um, talk. That, tell us who that was. You know, You remember her name? Forgot her name, brother. I that, her name. that sister is a biracial sister, and her name is Kendra Foster. Kendra she wrote Foster. a lot of that album. She wrote yeah. a lot. She wrote a lot of that album, and of course, it's funky like that because where did she get her start? George Clinton and P Funk. I did not know that. Yeah, that's where that sound comes from, brother. She is all mm. over. Um, how Late Do You Have to Be Before You Absent, I think, was one of the albums she was on. She's been in the P-Funk family for oh. years. So that explains that. So it explains everything. Yeah, yeah. so, so you, you you laying it out, brother. So we we talked about Pino Palladino. By the, ladies and gentlemen, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program. It's called Psychotic Bump School on DJ Rome. I'm way over time, y'all. I'm enjoying my conversation <laughs> with uh, this, 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 this multi-talented good brother named Cleveland Robinson. He's a licensed professional counselor. He's a singer, songwriter, musician, entrepreneur out of Dallas, Texas. He's joining us on the show. It's such an honor to have him here.
and I said he was a singer, so we've been breaking down some singers and artists. So, brother, we, we talked about Pino. We talked about Kendra. We talked about Isaiah Sharkey, Bad Cat, that little beautiful motif at the beginning of uh, Really Love. That's him. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who, who was the other guitar player in the band? Remember his name? I don't know that other guitar player. Okay. Um, that brother wrote Jungle Love and The Bird for the time and appeared in Purple Rain alongside Morris Day. That was Jesse Johnson of the time. That was Jesse Johnson on the stage with him? That was Jesse Johnson. I'm going to go back and YouTube this performance now. I I, I would have recognized Jesse Johnson, I feel. Because even I, I used to listen to his old albums um, Jesse when he did his break from the time. Yes, indeed. Jesse's always been a low-key cat, man. And um, he always does his own thing. Because if we talk about, so you, we talked about Really Love and that trench coat you were talking about, or the poncho. Yeah. The poncho looking like Clint Eastwood. That was the first jam that kind of featured prominently Isaiah Sharkey, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second song was Charade. Remember that? Yeah, he did his thing with Charade, man, because of course... That was uh, what protest was going on at the time. Was that yeah. right after Trayvon Martin? Absolutely. Yeah, somewhere around there. Because uh, Black yeah. Messiah came out. Uh, he just dropped it just out of the blue in 2015. Yeah, so I think it was more. Yep, so that was Trayvon. That was Michael Brown. So, yeah. he Michael Brown, like, all of them. Yeah, he felt like he had a lot to say back then. Yeah. So. And that charade really addressed a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, all we wanted was a chance to talk. Like, it's, it's good. Ooh. It's good. That was a line right there, right? So yeah, we got kind of like, yeah. so his background singers, man. I mean, I'm doing all this from my head, but one of them is his name. Uh, I think they nickname him Red, but his name is Jermaine Holmes. Oh, and, okay. Uh, one of them cats is. Uh, I might get them mixed up, but if you get a chance to check out their stuff, it's dope. I mean, okay. it, just think D'Angelo's rhythm section without D'Angelo in the front. These cats still carry that. I magic. didn't know. Yeah, Bro, I did not know. Yeah, Jermaine Holmes. But we're we're we gotta mention one more cat because he's so important for that performance. When you go back and look at it, uh, now that okay. you know that's now that you know that's Jesse Johnson because he played that guitar solo on Charade, and you'll you'll see the connection uh-huh. because that that's the guy that wrote Jungle Love, uh, yeah. and, and the Bird, and uh, and he's actually the same guy who wrote. Remember that song? Nights like this, I wish that rain yeah. would fall. By the group uh, After Seven, that's him. Absolutely. Yeah, he wrote I didn't that. know, man. He wrote that. He wrote that. So the drummer, do you remember you remember anything about the drummer on the stage that night for that D'Angelo performance on SNL? I don't remember that night. I only remember who he used to have because um, he went between Questlove and Chris Dave. Oh, um, we have to do a whole nother interview just talking about Chris <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who played drums that night, though. Okay, I'm trying to see it. in my mind. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna help you remember in your mind, and then I'm gonna let you go because this brother is so critical. Because we were talking about Aretha Franklin and just her drummer, and that the Muscle Shows and Bernard Purdy and the whole thing, and the the drummer that he had, uh, you know, just continuing on with this deep deep band that D'Angelo had was rich with P Funk and. Uh, Minneapolis, and so the drummer, the drummer was uh, John Blackwell. So John Blackwell. Oh yeah, Blackwell. He has um his little um insignia, the gloves. He's been everywhere. 
been everywhere. Most famously yeah. associated with Prince. With Prince, that's he right. plays with Prince. That's all. That's him on the Rainbow Children album. That that's John Blackwell on all that stuff. And so, a lot of folk, brother, don't know about that Rainbow Children album. Man, but when man. I first heard that, um, um, uh, coming to the mellow, it's like near the uh -huh. end of the um. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. A whole lot, man. I didn't realize that was him back there either, so I need to go back and look. Now, yeah. I'll say this. Mm -hmm. Even though when he came back out with Black Messiah in this band, mm -hmm. to me, this isn't his best ensemble. His best ensemble to me was the Voodoo Band, when Anthony Hamilton was singing background. He had Uncle Spanky okay. on the guitar. That was the okay. better band. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. I can do Voodoo. I can dig it. I love the Voodoo Project because that had Africa, that had um, uh, oh my God, Untitled, of course, but the grooves mm -hmm. that were in the pocket on that feel like feel like making love. The Come on, remake. That's why I liked it. So, yeah, it was it was it was crazy, and you know for that Rock matter, Sadiq was on bass. Sadiq, Sadiq was on bass. I mean, it it was a colorful, colorful project. One last thing about yeah. John Blackwell, he lost oh his arm. He lost the use of his uh, arm uh, a few years ago, and he has uh, suffered. Yeah, he, he he passed away. He passed away a few months before Prince. Wait a second, man. Yeah. John Blackwell isn't alive anymore? No, we lost him a few months or maybe even a full year before Prince. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, man. So that brother was bad, man. He was bad. Everybody that D'Angelo assembles, you know, from like you said, from the, the voodoo set, uh, the brown sugar set, you know, he's played with some amazing cats. And, you know, it, 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 it bothers me that we're not getting more output from him. But I think part I of it, I think part of it, I mean, you, you can chime in on this, too. I think part of it is that there is, you know, the, he created such a high bar when he came out with uh, voodoo that people started to see him in this vein of being a sex symbol. He was the heir apparent to Prince and Stevie, and he was the guy. He was perceived to be the next one. And uh, what came out in hindsight was that, yeah, he was, he's still the guy to me. He's still one of my favorite ones out there, but he, he's, there's only one Prince, right? That's right. There's only one. Right. So if you are an artist that collaborates and vibes off of the, the energy of others, that's okay too. But be that, you know, because that's the knock against Lauren Hill as to why we haven't seen anything or heard anything really from her since the miseducation of Lauren Hill was the, the yep. notion that she had a whole lot of help. And when those people, you know, this, these are allegations. I wasn't there, so I don't know this to be a fact. But what, what has been said legend wise is that a lot of people helped her and they weren't credited for it. And you and there might be some credence to that, given that her output has been so non-existent since that time perhaps out of fear of not being able to achieve that 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 quality of uh, artistry I don't know what are your thoughts on that yeah um well there's always a backstory I know that out of that miseducation um and to kind of stay on point that there is so much talk about and of course lawsuits yeah. <laughs> that yeah. validate some things yeah, but I think when we're looking at these certain artists, um, and I come from this same vein, we're talking about Lauren Hill, D'Angelo, people like Maxwell, oh, um, yeah. and I'm using these for a reason. Yep, these artists may come out with an album every five, six, seven years, if that. Lauren Hill's been over twenty. Yeah, around twenty. 
Yep. Um, D'Angelo looks like, let's see, 95, then 2000, then 2015. <laughs> this is what I believe. Maxwell, every five or six years, yep. maybe longer. Yep. And, and I really think that for a lot of artists like that who are true to their musicianship, mm-hmm. that um, mental health and mm. getting in the space to write actually is the reason why we don't hear anything from them. Ooh, you just said a word right there, good brother. You just said a word. I'm going to do a Erica whole Badu. Erica Badu. Go ahead. Erica Badu. She, when she came over that Worldwide Underground album, you remember that one? Oh, yes. It wasn't a lot of words on the album. And when they asked her, hey, where's the lyrics? She's like, I had nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, why, and that's uh-huh. why Worldwide Underground is mostly a lot of instrumental funks with repeated Merges of words and swallowing on hell based. Yeah, break that down again. That's why Worldwide Underground is what now? That's why Worldwide Underground only has a couple murmurings and some repeated choruses. Mm. Um, for that reason, she didn't have a lot to say, and that was the reason she gave. While it doesn't have a lot of full lyrics on that album, yeah, and so. <clears throat> I feel like a lot of these artists who are true musicians to their core, I think that mental health is something that they deal with, not in a negative manner, but mm-hmm. they have to be in a space to create, yes, no sir. matter how many years it takes. Yep. And you can't rush that process, right? I mean, you, you know, as an artist, you just do what you do the way that you do it in a way that works for you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't force that because I know Marvin Gaye was like, look, man, all right, I know, I know it's, I know I passed my deadline, but it's coming, it's coming. It's like, and then he dropped yeah. here, my dear. When he dropped here, my dear, it was like, it was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you it was going to be great. I told you it was going to be the oh, bomb, but, but you can't rush that process. And I know fans get frustrated, but an artist is an artist and an artist is going to do what they do the way they do it. Brother, what is the best way for people to keep in touch with you and to follow your work? Sure thing, man. I'm found everywhere at Real Soul Ambassador um, on Instagram as well as on Facebook. I don't really go on Twitter often. I kind of just go in there sometimes, but a Real Soul Ambassador is truly how you find me, um, as well as on my website at incrhouse.com. But a Real Soul Ambassador is your first stop. Yes, sir. Um, also, musically, I'm everywhere. I got a few singles out. Hey, girl, every morning. Um, closure. You can find those on um, uh, iTunes, yes, um, Google Play, Spotify. So please add it to your playlist. This is Dr. Amanda Rankin, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Yes, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, as we've been uh, focusing on this particular episode, we've had the privilege of meeting some amazing people across the country. During the time of the pandemic, a lot of people in our community have combined their specialties and resources together to form sort of a, 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 a Voltron, a, a synergistic unity among service providers so that we could just connect and just learn and 
you know, just get to know one another across the country because we all need to come together right now. And that's exactly what some of us have chosen to do. And uh, this next guest is no different. She's a clinical psych psychologist out of Chicago. Uh, her practice is called Thrive Psych Services. And she's here to talk to us about a few things that are occurring in her region out there in the beautiful state of Illinois. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, Dr. Amanda Rankin. Dr. Rankin, are you there? I am here. Thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Now, how long have you been in the city of Chicago? Is this a birthplace and a living dwelling for you, or is this a recent transplant situation for you? It, it, it has been now. Uh, I moved in 2011, so we're almost at a decade. Almost at a decade. Okay. Almost at a decade. Yeah, it went uh, I fast, was. Right? It went very fast. Uh, okay. And prior to that, I I'm born and raised Shreveport, Louisiana. So okay, so that's quite a region as well. So uh, before we really get going, can you what precipitated that relocation? Can you go into that a little bit? Uh, absolutely. Uh, as for most people, I think uh, big moves happen. You know, with a job or education. Uh, for me, uh, I attended school here uh, in Chicagoland and met my husband, and we have been here since. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, that without moving from where I was in L.A., I would have never met my wife. So sometimes uh, it's not only necessary, it's really the pathway to finding love. And uh, I want to talk to you Absolutely. about that too, because that, that's definitely my story as well. So thank you so much for being here. I wanted to ask someone from your area because as you know, we're coming off a weekend of um, a lot of things being in a news cycle with regards sure. to Chicago and protests and what have you. There's varying stories about what is actually going down and somebody who's actually there, I would love to ask you, what ways have the historic events of 2020 impacted you as a psychotherapist in the city where you live in Chicago? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Absolutely. There, there's been both, um, I think, uh, very real changes that I've had to make, uh, just in considering like everything, considering COVID, uh, considering just the state um, of things, just with looting, rioting, right? Um, just in protecting myself and my staff, uh, like we've been completely online for almost six months now it feels like um yeah, really yeah and so that's just kind of the practical change that myself and i know many of my colleagues have had to make and uh just for myself as a black woman psychologist uh, i know for me i've had to really do my own uh like self-awareness my own self-monitoring my own self-care yes. uh just because you have um you have a, a very large group of people who are feeling you know things uh who need to express those things right yes um there's an upset i think that is a shared upset a shared stirring yep. and i think a lot of people are kind of to a place where it's like okay i feel this you know it's perceptible at mm. this point and they want to talk about it yeah that's good that's good to know but you're right it's a tipping point and it's thick i mean it's thicker than molasses up in this piece even for people who do this work you know what i mean yeah yeah because 
just to maintain my semblance of sanity and balance, I, I, I've had to reach out to folks myself who, who do this work, who can help me, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I do mm-hmm. this work, you know? Right. So that, that's real. Well, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So let's talk about that a little bit because this, this is, we were already going through stuff prior to COVID and all these protests and what have you. So as a person practicing out there, what have been some of the more recurring themes in your practice that men and women in your region have typically sought help for? Why, why would somebody come to see you? Uh, are we are we talking pre-COVID? Are we talking? I feel like well, the terms yeah. are now like you know either pre-COVID or you know in COVID. That's a great question. Uh, let's go pre-COVID and then subsequent to COVID. Absolutely. Uh, so a lot of what um, like my practice, my focus is on women. Uh, I, I do see some uh, some males too, just kind of as it aligns with the. Uh, specialties of myself, the specialties of my, um, of my, uh, of my therapist. Uh, so uh, my focus, I just want to make clear, is mostly from like a women, uh, women-based clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, with with women, a lot of the things that I'm seeing is is anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, it, it kind of occurs across the spectrum. But I think something recurring, you know, has just been relationships. You know, whether it's uh, dissatisfaction, you know, in current in current um, relationships, as well as uh, just dissatisfaction of not being, you know, in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to go off script just for a second. There was some intentionality there, I'm assuming, to focus singularly on women. Uh, Can you talk to us about, you know, what what went into that decision to target uh, your resources specifically to the to the the women population? Sure. Uh, So. well, I am a woman, so that, of course, right. is one thing. But also just in um, the experiences that I have, like my fellowship was with um, the University of Chicago and uh, with um, with one of the larger hospitals out here. And uh, like like part of one, one rotation in particular focused on maternal mental health and a lot of times that's that overlap with kind of looking through you know that big transition in women's lives and kind of the feelings and you know the the changes that happen there and i i i love the focus you know that i was able to have just talking you know with those women throughout you know with throughout their pregnancies post Mm -hmm. uh partum as well and uh my specialty before my fellowship has always been with trauma Mm-hmm. And uh, women uh, are traumatized at high rates, um, yeah. and and we're more willing to talk about it. is Dr. Amanda Rankin of Thrive Psychological Services in Chicago, Illinois, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. 
folks ask me where I'm from and I just say shy town But on my birth certificate it says different 60901 <laughs> Full of sickos, winos, drunks, trying to be positive Closer to hell, a little south of the bears And miles away from the colleges And I ain't grow up in the same hood as common sense And opportunity, so usually we not convinced That we can be all that we can be Nah, the only nigga that made it was good at b-ball And shit, he ain't even graduate And that's the norm, so the parents ain't that ashamed Too broke to even dream, now ain't that ashamed Safe to say it ain't the best place to be But I claim it like my own, that's my city, that's my home And I know that once I'm on, I'ma take around the globe 60901, that's where I'm from, uh. And I just say shy town But if you check my resume it says different 60901 That's where I was born at And you should applaud that I even made it out Close to the drama, no daddies, just baby mamas And miles away from Obama's hood And I ain't grow up in the same neighborhood as Luke Oh yeah, but niggas did move yay to get the loot Cause the city ain't a city, just a bunch of folks sitting on a shitty situation If you are legit, you ain't really satisfied And that's the norm, watch TV sitting fantasize Too stuck to even dream, to even have a grind Safe to say it ain't the best place to be But I claim it like my own, that's my city, that's my home And I know that once I'm on, I'ma take them around the globe 60901, that's where I'm from, uh WG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. We're talking talking to uh, Dr. Amanda Rankin. She is the founder of Thrive Psych Services out of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, she's breaking some stuff down, fellas. I hope y'all paying attention. So, <laughs> wow, that that's heavy. Uh, and, and it's heartbreaking, to be honest with you. I'm not even gonna lie because this story has played out generationally for far too long. Um, in what ways could Black men do a better job of lightening that load that sisters have so that they can be able to focus more on self-care? 
Any thoughts on that? I'm sure you do. <laughs> I do have thoughts. Um, and and the, the first one is, uh, it, it's more about space because I don't think that it's the responsibility, you know, of black men uh, to, to, to fix us, you know, or mm. to change us. Or like, I, I think that is a very personal uh, journey that has to be done and it, it it really goes into like okay black men you're there to support or you're you're not right but I, I do think that it's a very individual thing because I really think the remedy you know to being able to decipher the mixed messages out there is to is is for us as women to be comfortable with being authentically us you know for for you to be authentically you mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. in that then you're able to thrive right you have to fearlessly be you despite you know someone saying like that's not good enough right because if mm. i believe it is then none of the messages outside of me matter hmm. or not enough to change me right so in that struggle how do you distinguish between being unapologetically yourself as a black woman while at the same time allowing for constructive input so sure. long as it's not bashing and uh, discrediting or gaslighting how does a black woman who wants to be authentically herself maintain openness to uh, feedback from her partner? Absolutely. So uh, I want to make sure there's not a misconception. When I say in being authentic, right, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that uh, like you're also not, there's not a willingness to learn and grow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in and, and, and being uh, authentic, what I'm really saying is to, because because it's I, I I really believe like within ourselves like we know you know like we we know the things that we want to do for ourselves we know the ways that we want to be you know uh, but I think we've had to kind of uh, switch in between you know uh, meeting the expectations that other people have for us right. Yeah. Uh, but if you make the choice to do those things, then that's you being authentically you, right? Because mm. I, I, we all are meant to exist along the spectrum. That's why what being authentic for me won't be the same as my sister, right? Or, mm-hmm. uh, or anyone else, mm. you know, like that could look differently, you know, occupationally, it could look different socially, it could be di- much different in our marriages, you know, and the things that we decide to be, do with our husbands. Mm. Um, so it, it, there, there's not, a, you're not devoid of an openness in hearing things. That's you know, true. we can exist all at the same time. Me Absolutely. being more me doesn't make me any less me in a relationship. I can accept that. And when it comes, in what way does vulnerability play into that? If a sister, okay, so as a black man, if I Mm -hmm. am able to be vulnerable and, you know, engage in self-disclosure and say, I need help, this is for me, I can't figure this out, you know, my manhood is being tested right now, I know I should know how to put this piece of furniture together, but I can't figure it out for the life of me, can you please help me? Um, What, can you talk to me about vulnerability and the sense of comfort and trust and assuredness that sisters feel or don't feel that they can be that way authentically and still be okay coming out of it. Does that make sense? Like, can they do, to what degree do they feel like they can be vulnerable 
around us and still be okay about that. Right. And, and it starts with trust. You know, I heard you say that. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's a trust in ourselves, right? A trust that we can be accepted for who we are, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that we don't have to be anybody else, you know, but that mm-hmm. me as Amanda will be accepted for who I am, right. you know, and, and what that does is it allows us to, you know, kind of clear ourselves from any pretense right mm-hmm. from any shorts or supposed to's That's um right. and we can just we're a lot freer to be vulnerable you know to make mistakes to not know how to do something mm-hmm. uh but but again uh, like i said i think a message has been and even a badge right has been uh to know all the answers to be able to do all the things mm. Oh, even from, um, from a sister standpoint? That's what you Absolutely. Saying? Absolutely. Mm, that's a lot of pressure, right? Absolutely. Um, and mm. so in being able to be vulnerable, we first have to trust in, you know, our, our, our own value, you know, in ourselves, but also trust that whomever that we chose can be trusted with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Would you say this is consistent? Uh, well, I, I know the answer. Well, let me phrase it this way, because now that I know you are also from Louisiana, from there to Chicago, mm-hmm. do you see mm-hmm. any similarities between those two regions in terms of how sisters are perceived? Um, are there stereotypes that pervade or prevail in either one of those regions, uh, respectively? Um, I, I think there's, there's a, like a rolling similarity. Mm. I would think. Uh, and when you think about me- social media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like we've been kind of bombarded with uh, perceptions of black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think social media, for better or worse, you know, has solidified a lot of those, you know, it's cemented in mm-hmm. our minds that like, okay, I need to look like this. I need to be like this in order to be desirable and to be accepted. Mm. Um, but again, like that leaves very little room for us to exist along a spectrum, you know, and also, well, this is kind of my, my bit of a pedestal with social media, you know, we're comparing, you know, like, it's like comparing a movie with a picture, right? Mm, it's wow. very easy to uh, get perfection in one point in time. Wow. You know, versus having to sustain that along, mm. you know, longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the hair and makeup, the camera mm-hmm. angle, how many photos it took, right? You're only seeing <laughs> the best product, you know, that we want to put out there. Nobody's going to, you know, take a picture of themselves first thing in the morning, you know, and, and blast oh, that on social media. Oh. Um, so, so that, like with social media, I just feel like it's opened up um just just an almost compulsion to compare ourselves i had sent you something about uh, a documentary on the own network uh, oprah winfrey's network where they're debuting a trailer for their upcoming season of black love which i've watched uh, faithfully for the last few seasons and it was trending on twitter um i <laughs> i used to be able to honestly say that i don't mess with twitter but lately I've been messing with Twitter to to see what's mm-hmm. been trending because I, I am not good with the follow. I, I you know I don't do follow and build like five million follow. I mean I don't know that's a lot of work 
but <laughs> but I do know that people go there to get their information. So I went there, Dr. Rankin, and I noticed that the TV series Black Love was trending. And the reason why it was trending was because people were concerned that this season of the Black couples, the wives in this season, uh, have black, are, are very, very light-skinned, have very fair complexions, you know, whatever fair refers to. Mm -hmm. And uh, people are wondering where the chocolate sisters. So I was wondering, <laughs> um, could you speak to that dynamic? Um, what would you say has been your experience from Louisiana, or excuse me, yeah, from Louisiana to sure. Chicago regarding the issue of colorism and the degree to which sisters feel like their suitability as wives, long-term girlfriends, partners are adequate uh, contingent with their, uh, the density of their melanin. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. And uh, I, I have to mention that uh, there's, with uh, my, my sister and I, we joke about it all the time, but uh, I, my sister, she is dark chocolate and uh beautiful dark chocolate and uh the two of us next to each other conversely i am a lot lighter complected uh light eyes right mm. and so even growing up especially in the south there you know like like you don't learn it you know um right off but there there's there were several times where you know i i would even see how you know, her behavior, which could, you know, be very similar to mine, could be construed, you mm. know, in a different way, just, and, and it's like, uh, like thinking about microaggressions, it's like, okay, where does mm. that come from? Like, mm. why are we perceived, you know, so differently? So um, just a little shout out there to my sister, Dorian, but also hey, Dorian. kind of, <laughs> um, also with um, the clients that I've seen, I, I have seen from some clients just this anxiety about like uh, not being good enough because they're not light enough or they don't have, you know, the good hair. Uh, I'm putting quotes up since mm -hmm. you guys can't see me right. um, or, you know, not being you know, enough for this or enough for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's definitely is something that people are still, you know, still, like it's still a thing, you mm -hmm. know, and I think it's maintained because there's still, you know, those factors out there where people are being rewarded, you know, because of how they look, mm -hmm. you know, and within the black community, I think that it is bringing in some schisms that, um, I, I do hope we get to a place, you know, to be able to rectify those. Yeah, same here. Now you talk about, um, oh man, uh, how, wh wh where would you say the level of optimism is with, with sisters these days with regard to what you just said and the, if that has any role or adverse impact on their ability to, to find love, to find compatible relationships from viable um <laughs> viable uh, options out there in black men because i know there's there's brothers out there but i don't know the degree to which sisters would consider them to be actual contenders for their affection you know what i'm saying sure so, absolutely but <laughs> what where, where would you say the level of optimism is that sisters possess these days with their um capacity to find that that true love that that, that they might be looking for 
I mean, I, I think the capacity is absolutely there. You know, I'm a realist in the sense that I, uh, I can't be blind to, again, just the power that social media has had and who has been, you know, um, uh, you know, set on a pedestal, you know, within our society. And there have been a lot of, um, you know, women who fit a certain bill you know, that has, uh, that has been, uh, you know, idolized per se. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like with that, like you're also conditioning men, you know, to want, you know, these things as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I can't say that like, you know, like, Oh, you know, it's in your head, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. but what I can say, uh, to my point previously is that like it, when we know our worth, right. Mm -hmm. Like then we are, um, it, it's, it becomes less of a matter of uh, trying to, um, trying to fit within any kind of a, within any kind of a box, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you don't have to fit into a box, you create your own. I do think there needs to be more space created for all kinds of women, all shapes, all sizes, all colors, mm -hmm. uh, you know, light, dark, curly hair, kinky hair to fit within what beautiful is. And I do think that's a much narrow, uh, a much narrow passage than what it should be. Yeah, it really is. Now, I had a filmmaker on a few weeks ago, Rochelle Cook out of Massachusetts, and she was talking about uh, in her film, uh, the, 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 the sense of abandonment that sisters feel from black men to the extent yes. to which they have been forced, sisters I mean, to consider other options in terms of um, partnerships. Of course, I'm talking about interracial, mm -hmm. just going outside of conventional, quote unquote, family structures. Um, and to, to that extent, I mean, sisters have seen the brothers, you know, dip outside, you know what I'm saying? So I'm wondering, can you talk about what impact that ha that is having in the community in Chicago there among black women? What, what, what's their position you think on, uh, them dating outside their race and black men doing the same? Gotta say from, from, you know, my small social, social circle, as well as my clientele, uh, people are optimistic, you know, they're like, you know, like I could get a white man or I can get a white woman, but I want a sister or a brother. Like mm -hmm. that has been something consistent that I've heard across gender lines, you know? Oh yes. Good. So I do think there is still a commitment to, Good. Is uh, that surprising at all to you. Is that surprising? I don't think so, especially not in the wake of uh, mm -hmm. things as is. Uh, I think there has been a, um, I don't know, kind of this calling back home, you know, like mm -hmm. to where, yes. you know, we are looking for each other. You know, we're yeah. nodding across the street at anybody else who looks like us. You know, I think mm -hmm. there is this, um, uh, like this quality of like understanding and, mm -hmm. um, Hopefully acceptance, uh, too. acceptance and, and, and yeah, yeah. And I see it just in like, I, this is who I want, you know? And it's just like, mm. where are you? Where are you? <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. a thing is, is more of what I'm hearing. Mm. Where are you? Um, oh, and from what segment is that question uh, being rhetorically put out there from black men or from black women? 
both both where are the but more so from black women for sure i believe you yeah i believe you um how do we answer that question how do we respond where could someone go to a target rich area and have sort of the pick of the litter uh, of great quality options of black partners sure and you know like i feel like there's um there is a quality of technology that's made things a lot easier right mm -hmm. because you know I, I deal with a lot of professional uh men and women and you know we have hectic work schedules you know so there's less time to look for you know partners um, but I think one way that technology is helpful is with online dating. I think it's a lot less taboo uh, mm -hmm. than it's been over the last five years even. Um, but part of the struggle is like people are using it for a number of things and it's not always for, you know, a lasting committed relationship. That's true. That's true. That's how I found my wife. I mean, full disclosure. It worked for me and I can mm -hmm. imagine how pressing the need is now in the, in the wake of COVID. I mean, social. Oh, with COVID. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you have to be online dating if you are of, uh, being, if you're single now being single, I know it carries with it some stigmas for some, but some sisters mm -hmm. are, they enjoy, it. I mean, um, particularly if they're in a particular stage of life, maybe they've already had, long-term relationship maybe they've been married or maybe they haven't but they're just you know getting themselves together and what can you tell us about how that segment looks in chicago the the happily single sister who's handling her business and getting her <laughs> yes i mean you got you know your lizzo's out here you know they love themselves mm -hmm. they love their life you know, I think with that comes a certain confidence that, you know, like happiness and joy and love will come, you know, yeah. like there's still a hopefulness that's attached to that. Yeah. Um, I, it, it really is with uh, women, I think, around, um, I would say like 33 to about 42 that I find the hopelessness is waning. It's waning. Um, and okay. it is waning. Um hmm. Just because biologically, you know, especially women who want to have families, um, yeah. like like there there is unfortunately just these external forces that shape that for us. Yeah, you said the hopelessness is waning in in the, uh, the early. 30s? Well, I'm I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. To, no, the hope the hopeless no the hope the hopefulness is waning. Hopefulness. So they're okay, they're got less it. yeah there you they're go they're less hopeful. <laughs> you know, yeah. than their counterparts. Right. I hear you. I hear you. And, and in turn, um, we, we have a few more minutes with you. Um, waning hope, wa a waning in hopefulness. Um, I, I would wager a bet that that's contributing to uh, a, a degree of anxiety within the clients that you seek or sure. that, that seek you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I guess my general question is, and we, we've been talking about it. I'm like, how do, okay, maybe I can do it this way. Can, can, can I, can I rant for a second? Absolutely. Cause I, I, I feel for those, I, I, I took a it took me a long time to get married for the first time. You know, I don't have any biological children of my own. I'm older now. It took a while, but 
I always viewed myself as like, look, I'm a quality pick. I know there's a sister out there mm-hmm. for me. Now, I'm in California. I've been in California my whole life, spent the majority of my life in Los Angeles. And I don't live there now. I'm in Northern California. So it, the, all that time in what's supposed to be a, a plethora of options, sure, it, it didn't happen for me until I moved away. And hmm. sometimes... I mean, I don't know if you would have found your husband. Did you find your husband there or where you used to live? Here. Exactly. So I, I can't say if I were still back home that I'd be with the love of my life right now because it's all about appreciation. And that that's my rant. It's like you go where the love is. It's like I wasn't getting any love in L.A., like in a place where you think, you know, where you call home, was supposed to be the most familiar to you. I didn't get the love until I, I left, you know? So I don't know. I'm rambling. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know that, uh, like, again, one, I think it's, it, it can be a little different for, for um, sure men can. and women. Yes. Uh, I, I think there's a, le- a little bit less of an urgency there. That's true. And uh, I also think that there's, uh, it, it's wrapped up in, in our feelings about ourselves. It's like, I don't want to mm. have to, like, why do I have to work so hard? Why does everybody else get to just have it? Like, like and I'm saying, like, yep. these are some of the thoughts that I've heard or like, yeah. I don't want that to be my story or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's things that I hear, you know, uh, you know, over and over and over. And I, you know, I, I gotta say that I can understand you know, uh, some of that, but there's also this, I, there has to be a space for, uh, just because you have to try doesn't make it any Mm. less valuable. Wow. Look at that. You know, uh, trying is just, it's just a consequence of being human. We all have to try at something. Wow. And yeah, and you're absolutely right. But when you have to try to get something that comes so natural and easy to someone else, it it doesn't work on your mind. Absolutely. (laughs) Why can't I pass this exam when they make it look so easy? What about couples that are trying to have a baby and and struggle Mm -hmm. with that and they have to get uh, insemination? You know, right. and what about black people who can't get justice and we got to go march and protest in the street when justice and fairness and equity comes naturally to certain segments of society? You know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, trying is a thing. And though necessary, sometimes we can you and I can understand why that's so frustrating and maybe even sometimes depressing for people in our community that we have to do sometimes mm-hmm. twice as much, three times as much just to get a fraction of the, the results. Right, right, but it doesn't take away our value. It sure does not. You know, just because we're not, uh, just because uh, a, a society doesn't value us doesn't make us any more valuable. You know, just because a diamond has fallen on the ground, it's like, no, I'm still gonna take the diamond, yeah. you know? Um, so like, the, it, it doesn't take away Mm. You, you know, anything just because, you know, outside forces doesn't see you for who you are, doesn't see the situation for what it is. That's right. That's right. I just want to say um, it, it's been very enjoyable speaking with you. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Rankin and I, I believe 
I found Thrive Psych Services through the process of uh, the, the Blackout Coalition, I think, perhaps on Facebook. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are on that page and just connecting and just making these connections and having outreach and sort of circling our black wagons right now. And absolutely uh, that that's I mean, I am so there and here for that right now because we need it. And so, as you heard throughout this conversation, you, you can see why her services are so useful. She has a wonderful team out there in Chicago. It's called Thrive Psych Services. And I encourage you to reach out to her. Uh, Dr. Amanda Rankin, would you join us again sometime on Psychotic Bump School? Uh, Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very, very special guest for the evening, the good brother, Mr. Cleveland Robinson, singer, songwriter, and licensed professional counselor out of Dallas. Thank you, Mr. Robinson. And also like to thank Dr. Amanda Rankin, clinical psychotherapist out of Chicago, Illinois. Check her out at Thrive Psych Services in Chicago. Also, if you want to send some feedback to the show, you can send us an email at scibumpschool at gmail.com. That's P-S-Y bumpschool at gmail.com. And we're also on Instagram, instagram.com slash psychotic underscore bump underscore school. And we also have a Facebook page, Psychotic Bump School. Just type it in. You'll find us there. Also want to send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care. See you next week. Bye.